0: Hey 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 what's up you guys what's going on this is Yaya Diamond and you're listening to Dream Chaser's Radio I am your host we have had so a slew of different issues going on over here where we are trying our hardest to get everything going. I'm telling you, I'm having a wonderful time over here. We're going to put some new music on for you, and I'm I'm excited about this whole thing, and new music today, uh, and some older music, and just music from before, and music from now, but um, I I just, man, I'm telling you, I just, I'm, I'm excited. And while we get this music going up for you, I want to thank you again for tuning in to Dream Cases Radio on 97.5 FM, Real Community Radio in Florida. On to the next. On, to the next. on to the next. Can you
1: go, i To and I heart, all
0: right i want to thank you for tuning in to james's radio again you know this is finding your place in the world of entrepreneurship and we always start off with great music and there is no one like you we Wonderful thing we have been under uh, all kinds of different things that we're doing here at Dream Chasers Radio and also Dream Chasers uh, TV, and it's it's amazing just the things that are going on. We're always daring to be different, though.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: up the swag, chasing up the swag. keeping up, up the up strong from a sippy bag. Yeah, I've been running up some decimals. Hey, 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 hey. Slap like my car with some decimals. Hey, 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 hey. hey. Up the bag, picking up the bag, picking up the bag, counting up the cash, picking up the top. Molly he buzzin' round, but like a bino, bino. Molly on the back, she tryna freak though, freak though. Saudi got the eyes, Saudi got the Saudi eyes. Got the eyes. Workin' up a storm, pullin' down my barn, my barn. Yeah. I've been running up them decimals, decimals. Eatin' up these niggas like a, a cannibal Whoppin' up a band on some edibles, edibles. Chiefin' on Japan in a sake cup, a sake cup. I- I- I'm about to land in a Nike club, club. Runnin' nickel bands from the county truck Chop a nigga in now I reload. I reload Tell them niggas pay me like I'm real. I've been running up some decimals. Hey, 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 hey. Lock like my car with some decimals. Hey, 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 Pushing on the star with my decimals. Telling you the bar with my decimals. We gon' buy the all with my decimals.
0: Oh yeah, running up the decimals with Drev- Drevo, cool. You know, finding your place in the world of entrepreneurship is is something that I'm still trying to do. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm still trying to do it. Finding my place. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm i I'm a musician. I'm a singer. Uh, I play music. I'm not proficient at it enough to go out. You know, you guys know I've said this many times before, but The biggest thing that I find is that trying to fit in is not always easy. Trying to find a place that you belong is not always easy. And you know what you know why it's not easy? Because we listen to the other people tell us it's not easy. So, you know, I'm on this new journey now where I have to actually find another steady income, I found out today. And so I think that is the push for me that's going to push me back full-time into music. I wasn't really full-time into music. Um, I had a regular job up until, uh, well, I still have it. I mean, I'm not going to give it up until they let me go. But it's like, it's, it's interesting the place I find myself in. And so I know I have the proficiency to do everything I want to do in life, pretty much. I just have to have the courage to jump. So finding my place and finding your place, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm I'm going to put some more music on, and uh, we're going to find our place together in the music industry. by paradigm fireworks you know uh finding your place in the world of entrepreneurship i think the biggest thing that we have to do is find out who we are as as a person and what we like to do what we want to do that that's going to be the biggest thing because i mean you can't find your place in the world of entrepreneurship if you don't know your place at all and so going into that and and being specific about that, you know. First of all, you got to you got to find out what you like. What do you like to do? What do you want to spend your time in? You know, that's going to be the biggest thing ever. Then you got to find your place in the and you know, there there are a few steps. You discover your purpose. Your purpose can be found within what you like your past, those small moments, those hidden things that you love that people don't know about uh what are you passionate about what's what what is your passion what what are you going for you know and, and it it it's just it's one of those things where you know you're going to have to figure it out, figure it out for yourself, figure it out and don't worry about what people say. It's the biggest thing, man, I tell you. The biggest thing is not thinking about what other people what other people say really doesn't matter. It's scary though. You have to overcome your fear because it is you. You are responsible for everything. It's you. It's on you. And so that's gonna be a big, big thing, and 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 that's scary within itself. But if you could find a way to get through, that I think you will. I think you will do great. Here is Gary V with some advice that others won't tell you.
3: I couldn't get any entry level job in my own company because I couldn't pass the written test or the math test for the two disciplines. I couldn't. I own the whole fucking thing. And the straight facts are, I could not work for my own company in an entry-level job.
4: Were you always successful?
3: In everything but school.
4: Didn't do well in school.
3: Poor, terrible, actually, um, punted it. And this is where I give my parents enormous credit. Education is the way out for immigrants. My mom recognized that I was a merchant, an entrepreneur. And then when I got D's and F's, she punished me. Even though she knew I didn't need school in her heart, she made me know that there was accountability for things. The biggest problem right now is insecurity. Everybody's actions are to get shit, to close their insecurity. You have so much time and everybody's in such a rush. They're in a rush because they want to prove something to somebody. Money is not the variable of happiness. Life is broken down into complaining and not. So if you're not complaining, well then I have no, I have no advice for you. I'm, I'm pumped. Like you did it. I just don't understand people dwelling and complaining. Like listen, I really, really, really would have enjoyed being the quarterback of the New York Jets. But by fourth grade I looked around and I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to be the quarterback of the Jets. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? Instead of being the quarterback of the Jets, I'm going to buy the Jets. There's so many people that are talking shit about how big of an entrepreneur they're going to be and how much they're going to achieve, and they don't work on weekends. The reason I do a daily blog on YouTube is, don't listen to what I'm saying, watch what I'm doing. I want to make patience and empathy and gratitude and eating fucking dog shit for 15 years cool. Mm. Period. Because that's the only way they're going to get it. Right. You know, I worked every Saturday of my 20s. Like, I don't sit in my couch and say, I'm gonna be a millionaire, and then, like, jerk off while I'm playing Madden all day. Like, people want all these special things to happen, but then they're acting like everybody else. And that gets into the Saturdays on, in your 20s, like, or, or just like taking risks or things of that nature. Like, this shit's fucking binary. Either you do the shit that gets you there, or you don't. And everybody's focused on the finish line. Not the treadmill work and the fucking drinking the fucking egg like Rocky fucking Balboa. They don't want to do that shit.
1: So, what should we do, Gary Vee?
3: People should fucking stop complaining.
1: Right. People good, should good figure call. out who the
3: fuck they are. You gotta figure out how to try shit. Like, that's the like, only, like, you just never know what your favorite food was until you try it. If you only had chicken, you might have not known that hot dogs were the best. So, that's what I love about the internet. These kids have so much option to, like, watch shit on YouTube and, like, My only answer to me or anybody is just like, try shit. The reason most people who are listening right now are not doing that thing is they're worried about the opinion of somebody, usually their mother, usually their father, and the reality is is that your spouse may be the person holding you back and you have to have that conversation. Do you feel like you judge yourself? I don't, and it's what I want for everybody else. We're beating ourselves up. Like, everybody sucks at something. Right? Like we all have shortcomings and we all have strengths. And for me, it's like, why don't we just audit that? You have to love hard. No. You have to love eating shit. Yes. You have to love people leaving comments saying you suck. Yep. You have to love the process. Figure out what your fucking thing is and stop making fucking bullshit excuses. Who the president is, your mom did this, like like I missed it, I had that idea for Uber. Then why did not you fucking do it, dick? People decide no before they try. You've just decided no because the system tells you no. You've been talent, you've been sold no. If you're lucky enough right now to be listening and you're good at what you like, become tunnel fucking vision because there's way too many voices telling you what and how. I want the pain. I want the process. I have the patience. I don't care what I have setbacks. I know that I'm asking for something special and if you're asking for something special, it should be hard. Everybody's saying no. I just say yes. And then if it's a no, I don't give a fuck. you going to judge me that I lost? I don't give a fuck what you think. And that's why I get so into that. Because then, then you're not scared to try shit. Because when you don't give a fuck what anybody says about you failing, you love failing. I love music. Own your shortcomings, own your strengths, surround yourself with the other shit, and stuff starts to pop. Thank you for having me. about Alexa and all these other things, one of the things that my career has been completely predicated on is the fact that I am willing to take chances on things that aren't mainstream yet because I understand that if I go after social code and if I go after Vine and if I go after Micmac and if I go after Yak and if I go after all these things, that I only need one of those seven to actually hit, Snapchat, Instagram, to win that bet. We have enormous fear in this room to. I have to wait, or let's wait till it's big, or what if I waste my time, awkward, right? Yeah, super awkward. You you can leave if you want, but you can chill too. Got it. Will I waste my time on these platforms, right? Will I waste my time on these platforms if, it doesn't become big. And so one of the other themes that I really wanted to leave here with tonight, knowing the demo of this room, is we have to have a lot more risk tolerance on new platforms. If you're not playing, back to details, and I know you're taking notes, if you're not playing with Marco Polo and after school and house party, then you're not there potentially at the platforms that can become the next things at the top of our tongue. How many people here, let's be really honest, let's be really, really, really honest with ourselves inbound. Please raise your hand if this is true. How many people in this room, and I want everybody to look around, said two and a half years ago, three years ago, maybe even a year ago, that they would never be on Snapchat, that was stupid, and now have a Snapchat account? Raise your hands. Raise it high, higher. This, this is where all the action is. This is where all the action is. This is the opportunity in this room. But we continue to downplay. We continue to downplay the upside because we fear the risk of being on there and wasting time. If you have not achieved what you want to professionally or in life, time is the number one thing you've got. You need to deploy as much of that as humanly possible. That is the asset. When you have not achieved the things that you want to happen in life, and it is because of time that you haven't wanted to put into these platforms of the worlds, that is a massive mistake. It's the one asset you have. Not everybody in this room has money. It's true. You agree, right? So, are you going to work your fucking face off? Thank you. It's the one thing we have. It's the one thing we have, because everybody wants to come up with excuses. I spend my life reading excuses on social media and my inbox. I'm um, this, I wasn't born that way, I wasn't born here. This, I'm a, a female, I'm an immigrant, I'm a minority, I'm a transgender, uh, ex- excuses, reality. By the way, I truly believe those are disadvantages. I'm not naive to the shortcomings of this country. The problem is, nobody cares. The market doesn't care. So we sit and we dwell and I thought, what do you think we've been doing for the last month? And what we're gonna do tomorrow morning, we're gonna dwell and complain and that's utter defense instead of going on the offense. And so we spend unbelievable amounts of time dwelling and wasting our time on dumb shit. Like people literally email me and say, you're so lucky and I wish this was happening to me and then the third tweet or the third Instagram post is, awesome Saturday stayed home, and watched entire season of fucking Game of Thrones. <laughs> we need to start understanding how big this opportunity is because for everybody in this room, you will sit back in 20, 30 years and regret if you didn't execute in this era. And by the way, I don't want to hear that this is for 20 and 30-year-olds. 40, 50, 60, 70, It's an equal playing field if you're willing to be a practitioner and understand the ecosystem that I've been speaking about tonight. There's never been a better time. Look, it's very obvious, these kind of characters. There was no respect for 20 year olds in the business world 20 years ago when I came out, but now because of technology, there's a lot of organizations that absolutely respect 20 and 30 year olds. Also. What is happening is I'm spending so much time with 40 to 60 year old executives who are dwelling and are upset and tell me dumb shit like, but Gary, I didn't grow up with this shit. Neither did I, Alice. (laughs) I was 20 before I even was on a computer. I didn't grow up with this shit, I figured it out. And so I sit there and see completely capable operators that have made it happen for the last 20, 30 years being crippled by, I don't understand how Snapchat works, it's so confusing. We're just filled with excuses. We are. People are just losing their hunger. And then then by the way, let me get really mad for two seconds with my fancy rich friends. The thing that I'm completely blown away by, that I had no idea was going on in capitalism and meritocracy is once you get rich, you actually try to spend your dollars to create laws that allow you not to work and still hold on to your money. 100%, right? I mean, I'm blown away by this. You were were benefited because in your 20s to 60, for 40 years, you grinded and out-executed somebody and you were able to make lots of money, but now that you're tired and you're finished and you're older and don't want to put in the work, You don't want the next young buck to come along and eat your lunch. That's not how capitalism works. It's true. It's just not. And so we have all these trends and we have the great fortune of living in an era where things have been really good for a very long time. And so I walk around the world and I told my wife Lizzie, I'm like, Lizzie, listen to me. I don't care, clearly, because i was such a shit student, what the kids do at school, but please, they can't be in programs where we give away seventh place trophies. I have no idea who wins the election tonight, but we need to fucking ban seventh place trophies in America. And so we have all these macro situations going on, and not to mention, For a lot of people here under 30, you haven't been in the game during an economic downturn because things have been very cushy for the last seven years where if you're 23 years old and you have an idea, your company's miraculously worth $4 million. And so we're living in a very intriguing time and I think that the passion and the angst and the energy that I bring tonight are predicated on a couple of tried and true things. Number one, if you're not making long-term decisions, you will be vulnerable. The market's changing very quickly, and anybody who's looking for short-term stuff gets short-term stuff and then gets hurt in the long-term. Things like Airbnb. Guys, Airbnb shouldn't have been invented by Brian and Joe. Airbnb should have been invented by Marriott, but Marriott is looking short-term and isn't creating business models to put themselves out of business. Uber should have not been created by Garrett and, They should should have not been created by Garrett and Travis. They should have been created by the guy or girl that owned the most medallions in New York City or by Greyhound. If you sit here tonight and you're doing well, you're in danger. Because there's somebody young and hungry that has the internet, which is a platform that creates a zero cost to get into the game that's coming after your shit. So if you don't do what I do, which is wake up every single morning, every single morning, and try to put yourself out of business, somebody else is gonna do it for you. It is much more fun, my friends, to put yourself out of business than have somebody else do it for you. And so please, if you're cushy, who's cushy? Raise your hand if shit's going real well. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Three people raise their hand. I think you need to shut down this fucking, you're doing good? Awesome, man. What was that? I was like, you're doing good? You're like, yeah, we're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, always. So, you've got to understand, the only thing that's interesting to me and the only thing I have, I always say that basically, my career is predicated much more similar to Mariano Rivera than anything else that I can think of. If you're a baseball fan, he was a very good closer for the New York Yankees where basically his entire career was predicated on one pitch. He had one pitch, for 17 years and nobody could hit it. And that's basically my business career. I've got one pitch, which is the following. I know what you're gonna do before you know you're gonna do it. It's the thing that I was gifted with, just like if you can sing, just like you shoot, I've always had the intuition. I was made fun of and aggressively made fun of for launching a website in 1996 because just like people sit here and think that Vine or Snapchat is a fad, there's people in this room that remember where the whole internet was a fad but I bet on it, and I built a big business. And then I was made fun of because this thing called YouTube came out, and I took a chance on that because I thought it was gonna be big and started a wine show and sat in front of a camera and drank four bottles of wine for 20 minutes, and hundreds of thousands of people watched it, and then that worked. And then Twitter worked, and I invested in Twitter and Facebook and things of that nature, but I had so many losses along the way. One thing that's never talked about with my genius career was that I was on YouTube super early, but I left six months in and started producing Wine Library TV exclusively on Vidler. <laughs> I was wrong. One thing that's not talked about is that I thought that the biggest startup in the world in 2010 was gonna be Yo Bongo. <laughs> I was wrong and I continue to be interested in being wrong for the rest of my life because I am a purebred entrepreneur because I'm not scared of trying things and wasting my valuable time because I want things and most of all, and this is the most of all, the whole thing, I just genuinely don't give a fuck about what you think about me. Balanced with, I really care about what everybody says about me, and in that friction, and I mean that, you have to deploy real ego and real humility around this course because we live in that world, but if I could inspire anything in the time that I was here today, it's very simply this. Please do me one favor. I'm gonna wrap it up with this, and this matters so much to me. Please, whatever it takes, call your grandmother, go to your great-grandfather's burial spot, go back to the old country, go to a shelter, Do something, do something that recalibrates your perspective on what is actually going on here. We have never had it better. My friends, I'm going to leave you with a very interesting data point. You guys like data? Who likes data? Great. Let me give you some fucking data. More people in America will die from a coconut falling out of a tree and hitting you on the head and killing you than terrorism. Yeah. I see you tentative, like, is he fucking serious? I'm dead fucking serious. One of the critics, actually, that I once met said, yeah, Tony's techniques, they were great for about a year and a half, and then they wore off. <laughs> what do you, you, know, if folks you don't, if say to that?
5: It's real simple. If you don't work out, you don't get a, don't get a muscle, right? right? So I always tell people, this is there's a daily practice, like priming. If you don't do that, if you get up and you just have no discipline whatsoever, you get no value of anything. Your diets don't work when you don't do them. Exercise doesn't work when you don't do them. But most of the people have some experiences that they want to shift. And once you shift those things, your whole life changes. But life is constant growth. My life isn't here because I went to one seminar one time and now my life is fit for life. I I work out. I train my mind. I train my body. It becomes a lifestyle. It's not just like you're depending upon somebody else. I'm not here to become somebody's guru. I'm not here to give them a gift. I'm here for them to open up their own gifts. And that's really what my work has been. People who succeed in any situation have a pattern of what they do to succeed. And it doesn't matter whether that person is succeeding in a business context or in a relationship context. It doesn't matter what the environment is. The fundamental lessons or laws for succeeding are very, very basic. So if we're looking for the ultimate success formula, the very first thing we would have is you would have to know what you want, which we call know your outcome. If you're going to succeed at anything, it's hard to succeed, hard to hit a target when you don't know what it is. And as simplistic as this sounds, do, no, do most people really know what they want? What do you think? Yes or no? At least not consciously they don't, right? And so it's going to be very, very difficult to achieve what you want when you haven't to find it. But this is going to become a question we're going to want you to ask yourself a lot. What is my outcome in this situation? I even have a time management system that I developed. It's really a life management system, which we call OPA, because the first O stands for what's my outcome. Because you can come up with a question like, what should I do? And you're gonna end up with a long list. But as you do all these things, what'll happen is you can cross something off your list and still be unfulfilled, not really achieve anything that matters. So you'll say, what's my outcome first? Then you begin to decide what you need to do to get the outcome. So in this case, you wanna say, what's your outcome? You wanna make it a habit to ask this question a lot. You're in the middle of a conversation. Stop yourself if it seems to go nowhere and say, what's my outcome here? Do I wanna connect? Do I wanna influence this person? Do you want to learn something? What's your outcome? For example, how many of you have ever been caught up in an argument and you even forgot what you're arguing for, but you knew you had to win? How many have been there? Say I. <laughs> okay, if in the middle of that argument you were to ask yourself the question, what's my outcome here? I guarantee you, your brain would say, well, my outcome is not to fight, my outcome is to resolve this. And as you get clear on what your real target is, your behavior will change automatically. So, very, very few people know what they want. And the more you clear you can get about what you want, the more you can really achieve. So you might write underneath this is the subset of number one, still number one. Just like clarity is power. Clarity is power. The more clear you can become about what it is you really want, the more power you're gonna have. Because your brain is like a servo mechanism in a, a bomb as an example. When they send a missile out, it has a servo mechanism. It knows what the target is, and when the target moves, it follows it. Well your brain is very similar. When you decide exactly what it is you want, you start picking up information that you never would have picked up before consciously. For example, have you ever bought a particular car, maybe, or maybe a certain outfit, and then all of a sudden you see that car or outfit everywhere? How many have had that experience? Say, I. Well, was that car or outfit already around you all the time? Yeah, but you didn't notice it because there's a portion of your brain that is responsible for one thing, and that is screening out 99% of what you see, hear, and feel in life. Because if you were to notice everything that's going on in this room right now, you'd go start craving mad. But most of you don't. You pay attention to a small number of things. If You could right now notice what? Millions of things. You could notice my voice. You could listen to what I'm saying. You could notice what's going on in the background, the screens. You could hear the air conditioning. You could smell your neighbor off to all that jumping up and down. Notice that. Right? You could feel maybe a little sweat trickling across your chest or whatever was going on after all that jumping up and down. You could feel the blood maybe vibrating or circulating through your left eardrum, but you don't think about those things. So maybe I mention them or something triggers it. So this part of our brain that's responsible for deleting most of our thoughts and most of the things that are going on around us, that part of our brain, when, you know, when it knows what you want, it makes you notice those things. You suddenly see that car because it's important. It's called the reticular activating system. You don't have to write all that down. For short, it's called RAS. The reticular activating system tells your brain what to pay attention to. So when you say, this is what I really want, now anything that relates to that that you wouldn't have noticed before will start popping up into your focus. And a lot of times people say, it's amazing. I decided this and it was kind of you know, synchronicity. These things started popping up. Well, these things were probably around you before, but you never noticed them because you hadn't decided your outcome. Now, when you know your outcome, you're ahead of 95% of the population.
3: But that's not enough.
5: The second thing you got to know is a lot of times you know your outcome, but you lose your drive. You know, you want something, but you forget the most important thing, which is know why you want it. Know why you want it. You've got to know the purpose. In our OPA training system, when people are managing their lives, we have them ask, what's my outcome? And then why do I want this? Because any person successful, really successful, knows exactly what they want and they know why. The reason you have got to know why is, remember I said yesterday, reasons come first, answers come second. If you get enough reasons, you can get a big enough why. You can figure out how to do about anything. But you've got to have purpose because purpose provides drive. Now, if you know what you want and you know why, you're light years ahead of most of the population. But you've got to go the step that most people seem to avoid. And that is you've got to take massive what? That's right. And the key word there is massive. Massive action can be a cure-all, win. You know what you're after, and you know why you want it. Because when you know what you're after, when you take action, you won't just be expending energy. You'll be moving yourself in a direction towards something you really, really want. And by the way, last night we called taking massive action personal what? Power, which means the ability to take action. And what stops people from taking action primarily? What? Fear. And the way you get over that fear is what do you think is the number one fear most people have? Failure. And the reason is they feel if they fail, they won't be loved. They'll be rejected they'll be hurt, they'll be judged. So what they really are afraid of is losing love. And they think that this rejection, or I should say this failure, will lead to that rejection or loss of love. The truth of the matter is, you can't fail unless you don't try. If you try something that doesn't work, you just learn from it, and that'll make you better the next time you go about it. Now, if you know your outcome, know why you want it, and take massive action, you're now in the most small percentile of people on the planet. So what's the next step, though? Well, you can take a lot of action and get caught up in a pattern. Like you become so determined that you became like tunnel vision, like I know this is going to work. And so you keep running east looking for a sunset with total certainty and a lot of belief, high standards, still doesn't work. So what you have to be able to do to succeed so you don't get caught up in some old pattern is you've got to know what you're getting. Know what you are. Know what you are getting. The word we use for this is for short is we call it sensory acuity. Sensory acuity is the idea that you want to become acutely sensitive to whether what you're doing is working or not. You don't want to just say, okay, I know what I want, I know why I don't want it, I'm just going to make it happen, this time how I'm going to do it. You keep hammering it and hammering it and hammering it, doing something that doesn't work. And people do this all the time, right? Do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's called insanity. You can't do the same thing again and again, expect a different result when you can see it doesn't get the result. But we get caught up in our patterns. So we want to get really sensitized, acutely sensitized, sensory acuity, to whether what we're doing is working or not. And by the way, sensory acuity is really the measure of a person's intelligence. What I mean by that is how do we measure intelligence? Intelligence is a measure of the number and quality of distinctions you have in a given situation. Like, for example, if you talk to Eskimos, that's actually not the politically correct term anymore. I guess it's in a way. If you talk to an in a way, what we formerly called Eskimos, you'd find out that, in a way, have more than a dozen words for the word snow. More than a dozen. Now, I'm from Southern California. Guess how many words I have for snow. One. I don't see any of it. It's called snow, baby. Right? But they've got to know what kind of snow. They've got to make more refined distinctions to be effective in the world, to get their outcomes. They've got to know what kind of snow you can build an igloo out of, what kind of snow you can take your dogs through, what kind of snow you can eat, right? What kind of snow you're going to fall through. So who has more intelligence, who has more power in that snowy environment, the Eskimo or me, which one? Eskimo, because they have more sensory acuity. They have more refined distinctions about what each of these elements mean versus I just see it as snow. Now, if you took that Eskimo and you stuck him in my car in Los Angeles, then we'd find out that maybe I have a little more intelligence because he might try to steer the thing using the rearview mirror. Right? He just doesn't know. So since he doesn't have that acuity, he doesn't have those distinctions, he wouldn't do terribly well there see some people I can hold this up and I can say what is this and they would say well it's a cylinder other people say no no that's a blue white and black cylinder someone else says no no that's a blue color marker a few people say "No, no no that's not just a blue color marker that is a pilot super color bright and wide color marker and if you get it in your clothes it'll never come out now which one of those people has more power one two three or four four because they have the largest number of distinctions so now if you know your outcome You know why you want it. You got your purpose. You got your drive. You got your A and OPA. This is outcome, purpose, action. You know the massive action. You're taking action, and you notice if it's working. What happens if you notice it's not working? You're taking action, but it's not getting you closer to your outcome. What's the obvious fifth step? The fifth step is change your approach.
4: Change your approach. If
5: what you're doing, your cutie says, is not working, change it. Now, what if you change your approach and that's still not working? Then what would you do? What would you do? Come on, what would you do? Change it again. Keep yourself in a peak state. Sit up in your chair. Some of you have gone back into that deep hypnotic state of learning, I can see. And what if you tried that and it didn't work? Then what would you do? What if that doesn't work? What do you do? And what if that doesn't work? What do you do? What if that doesn't work? What do you do? What if after all that it still doesn't work? What do you do? And what if you try that and it doesn't work? how many times until you find out what works do not say to yourself I've tried everything that's a if you tried everything you'd have what you want well, I haven't tried everything but I tried millions of things millions number them name them well maybe tens of thousands tens of thousands name a thousand well maybe a hundred name a hundred well maybe I did these two things over and over again that don't work okay but when we start saying, I've tried everything, we tend to encant that, don't we? We make it an incantation, and then we believe it. And since we think we've tried everything, we just give up. It's garbage. not true. Hey, let me ask you a question. How long would you give your average baby to learn how to walk? You know, before you shut them off and didn't let him try anymore. You go, know, what are you, crazy? My kid's going to keep trying until he or she walks. Ah, magic formula. You know, when almost everything in the whole world walks. Okay? So this is the ultimate success formula. It comes down to knowing what you want, why you want it, taking massive action, know if it's working, and simply changing your approach until you get it. That's it. Anyone who succeeds does this. They may not call it Robin's ultimate success formula, but I guarantee they did it. I a corny example, Thomas Edison, these lights in here, did this guy know his outcome, yes or no? Yes or no? He was absolutely clear without knowing the outcome, he couldn't have built that in a million years. It didn't exist before. He had to decide he wanted to create this result without the use of candles. Did he know why he wanted to do it? You bet. You read his writings. This man had a sense of incredible purpose and drive. Did he take massive action? Yes or no? Oh, yes. Tens of thousands of experiments. Did he notice when it wasn't working and learn from it? Yes or no? And did he keep changing his approach? That's why right now in this room we don't smell candlelight, right? Now, if you know the old story of him, it's written about him early, in his early days, He says he's got his best friend with him. He's doing this experiment. And as he's doing it, he creates a small explosion, which shakes the room, scares both of them very, very severely. And then at the end of that, he gets up, and his friend is totally shaken, freaked out. He pulls out his journal, and he starts writing. And his buddy says to him, what's the matter? Are you insane? You almost killed us. So you're going to wait till you have 10,000 failures before you give this stupid idea up? And Edison's response to him was, I didn't have a failure there. He goes, that's your 9,999 failure. He said, no, it's not. He said, I discovered the 9,999th way not to invent the electric light bulb. But I did discover how to create a small explosion, which may be useful in the future somewhere else. Uh, Interesting, right? Because he understood what this process was. Hey, did Bruce Springsteen use this? Do you think he just went out and used his gravelly voice and said, hey, baby, born to USA, and everybody went, yeah, you're it, man. Is that what happened? No. What really happened, if you know his story, was, that all the agents and people who went to try and book with said, just play the guitar and keep your mouth shut. Your voice is gross sounding. It's gravelly. It's irritating. No one is going to like the stuff. Keep your mouth shut and play the guitar. But he knew what he wanted. He had all the drive you can imagine. He knew why he wanted Took massive action. Kept changing his approach until he got what he wanted. How about uh, Sly Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky? Rocky's story is this even, Right. But Sly is too. Sly is a good friend of mine. And when I first met him years ago, he was listening to my tapes and stuff, and he invited me over for dinner, we started talking. And I said, you know, I've heard your story from other people, but i really love to hear it from the horse's mouth. I don't know how much is mythology and urban myth and how much is true. So he told me his whole story. He said the essence of it, though, was he said he knew his whole life what he wanted to do since he was very, very young. He wanted to be in the movie business, period. I mean, not just TV, movies. And he, just, he said why was, for him, it was a chance to have people not only escape, but to inspire people. And by the way, that drive is what made most of his movies, inspire people to what they're capable of, to overcome unbelievable obstacles, because in his own life he felt like he did that. When he was born, he was pulled out by the forceps. That's why he looked the way he did. That's why he talked the way he did. And he said, so I really want to do that. And he said, I knew why I wanted to do it, and I wasn't willing to settle for anything else. And he said, what happened was, I went out to try and get jobs, and it's not like I went, and they went, you're a star. It didn't work out real well. They looked at me and said, hey, you're stupid looking. Do something else. You know, what is it talking like this? There's no place for you in that stuff. You're never going to be a star in the movies. You're insane. No one's going to want to listen to somebody who looks dopey and talks out of the side of their mouth, right? And he got no after no after no after no. He said, I was thrown out more more than 1,500 times of agents' offices in New York. I said, there aren't 1,500 agents in New York. He said, I know. I've been to them five, six, seven, eight, nine times. He said, I remember one guy I went in there and I got in there at four o'clock and he wouldn't see me, so I stayed there and I would not leave I stayed overnight. They came back the next morning, I was still sitting there. He said, That's how I got my first job. The guy said, Fine, come in here. And he sat down and he went through this and he gave me my first movie. I said, Oh really? I thought Rocky was the first movie. He said, No, this other movie, I never heard of it. He said, I said, Well, what character did you play? He said, well, I was in it for about twenty seconds. I was a thug and somebody beat up. He said, Because they made me feel like, you know, somebody people hate your guts, you getting beat up it'll be a good thing. And he did like three movies like that, never got anything, kept going out, rejection, rejection, rejection. So finally he realized it wasn't working, so he changed his approach. He said, I was starving, by the way. He said, I couldn't pay for even to have heat in my apartment. My wife was screaming at me every day to go get a job. I said, well, why didn't you? He said, because I knew that if I got a job, he said, I'd get seduced back and I'd lose my hunger. He said, I knew that the only way I could do this is if it was the only choice, if I burned all of the bridges. Because if I did a normal job, pretty soon I'd be caught up in that rhythm and that stuff, and I'd feel okay about my life, and i feel like my dream would just gradually disappear. He said, I wanted to keep that hunger. That hunger was the only thing I thought was my advantage. He said, my wife didn't understand that at all. He said, we'd have these vicious fights, and he said it was freezing. So I was broke, we had no money, and he said, so I finally went to the public library one day because it was warm, So I didn't want to read anything. So I went in, New York Public Library, he so said, I was hanging out there, and I sat down in this chair, and somebody left a book there, and he said, I looked down at this book, and it was the poems of Edgar Allan, stories of Edgar Allan Poe. And he said, so I started reading it. And he said, I got totally into Edgar Allan Poe. And he said, I know everything about it. He goes on for another 20 minutes telling me about Edgar Allan Poe. He knows everything, how he died, what it was about, what really happened. And I said, well, what did Poe do for you? He said, Poe got me out of myself. He got me to think about how I could touch other people and not worry about myself so much. And he said, "Maybe made me decide to become a writer. I said, just imagine Rocky the writer, right? And he said, so I tried to write a bunch of screenplays. Nothing worked, nothing worked. I was totally broke. He said, I didn't even have 50 bucks. And he said, and finally, he said, I sold a script. It was called Paradise Alley. It's a movie I made many years later, but I sold it. And he said, I sold it for 100 bucks. He said, but 100 bucks was a ton of money, man. I was so thrilled. I thought, I'm on my way. But it never led to anything. And he said, so finally, he said, I kept going and going and going. He said, finally, we were so broke. He said, I hawked my wife's jewelry. He said, Tony, there's some things in life you should never do. He said, that was basically the end of our relationship. She hated my gut so much. He said, now we were so broke, we had nothing, no food, no money. And he said, the one thing I loved most in the world was my dog. He said, I love my dog because he gave me unconditional love, unlike my wife. And he said, so what happened was, though we were so broke that to survive, I couldn't even feed my dog. So I went to a liquor store. He said, it was the lowest day of my life. And I stood outside the liquor store trying to sell my dog to strangers. He said, I tried to sell my dog for 50 bucks, And he said, this, finally, this one guy negotiated with me and bought my dog for me, my best friend on earth, for $25. He said, I walked away from there, and I cried. He said, it was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. He said, two weeks later, I'm watching a fight between Muhammad Ali and Weppner, this white guy that's getting bludgeoned but just keeps on coming, even though he gets the hell beat out of him. And he said, I got an idea. He said, I, as soon as the fight ended, I started writing. He said, I wrote for 20 straight hours. I did not sleep. I wrote the entire movie in 20 hours straight. Right then, saw the fight, wrote the movie, whole thing, done. He said, I was shaking at the end, I was so excited. He said, I really knew, man, I knew what I wanted, I knew why I wanted it. He said, just like he teased that formula, he said, but I said, man, I took the action, now it's time to deliver. And so he said, I went out and started trying to sell it to agents, and they all would read it, and they'd say, you know, this is predictable, this is stupid, this is sappy. He said, I wrote down all the things they said, and I read them the night of the Oscars when we won. He said it was really good right? The greatest revenge Is massive success (laughs) And he said so what happened was He said I kept going trying to sell it Trying to sell it nobody going I'm broke I'm starving He said finally I meet these guys They read it and they believe in the script And they love it And they offer me $125,000 For my script I said, oh my God, you must have been out of your mind. He said, I was. I said, just one thing, though, guys. You've got to deal based on one thing. And they said, what's that? He said, I've got a star in it. They went, Pfft. what are you talking about? You're a writer. He said, no, no, I'm an actor. He said, no, 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 you're a writer. He said, no, no, I'm an actor. That is my story, and I'm Rocky. He said, i got to play it. You know, I've got to be the head person. I've got to be the starring role. And they said, there's no way. We're not going to pay $125,000, take some no name, and stick you in that and throw our money away. We need a star. You know, and they want to have Ryan O'Neal play Rocky. To give you a picture, can you imagine? (laughs) That's who they picked, right? And so he said, "No way, Ryan O'Neal isn't Rocky. I'm Rocky." Went through this whole thing, right? They finally he said, "They said, well, take it or leave it." He said, "I left the room. I said, if that's what you believe, you don't get my script." And he left. Here's a man with no money, none, totally broke, offered $125,000 more money he'd seen his lifetime, and he walked away because he knew his real what? Knew his real what? And why he wanted it, he was committed to it. So he said they called him a few weeks later, and they came and brought him back, and they offered him a quarter of a million dollars, not to star in his own movie. He turned it down, $250,000. They came back, their final offer was $325,000. They wanted this thing. He said, not without me, and they said no. They finally compromised, and they gave him $35,000. And points in the movie, because they said, if this is going to happen, then you're going to take the risk with us. And the bottom line is we don't think it'll work, but at least we we'll won't spend a bunch of money on you. And they only spent a million dollars to make Rocky, and it grossed $200 million at the time. I mean, it was done pretty well. But what's interesting about this is, here's he, I said, what'd you do? I mean, even 35000 it's not a quarter of a million. That's a lot of money when you don't have 25 bucks. I said, what's the first thing you did? I figured you went out and partied or something. He said, I went to that liquor store for three straight days and hoped that the man who had my dog, frequented the store, he because I want to buy back my dog. And I thought that was so cool, right? And that was really cool. I said, What happened? He said, third day I was there, this guy walks by and I see him and I can't believe it, and there's my dog. And I looked at him and I said, Sir, remember me? And he said, It's been about a month and a half by the time this had all come about. And he said, Remember me? You know, I'm the guy who sold you the dog and I goes, Yeah, yeah, I love the dog. He said, look, he said, I was so broke, I was starving. He's my best friend. I'm sure you love him too. I like God, I have him black Please, I beg of you. He said, I'll pay you $100 for the dog. I know you paid me 25 but I'll give you $100. The man said, absolutely not. No way. My dog now, you can't buy him back. Right? And Sly said, you know, Tony, you know, he say know your outcome. I said, yeah. He said, I knew it. And he said, I kept changing my approach. So I went, $500 for the dog. The guy said, absolutely no way. He said, $1,000 for my dog. The guy said, no amount of money on earth is ever going to get this dog for you. So what'd you do? He said I knew my outcome, right? Because he's listening. These tapes kept to him. He said I would to take massive action. He said I got my dog. I just kept changing my approach, so I got it. I said What'd it cost you? Fifteen thousand dollars and a part in Rocky. The guy's in Rocky.
4: <laughs>
5: you know that dog in Rocky, Butt Kiss? That's Sly's real dog. Right, that's the dog. You bought him back. So, so he put his dog in the movie, and he put the guy in the movie, and paid fifteen grand while he had thirty-five thousand. Isn't that pretty cool? Pretty awesome. So, there's always a way if you're committed. Just got to keep changing your approach.
0: You definitely have to change your approach, and so you know, finding your place in the world of entrepreneurship. Is going to be really, really something new for all of us. Join me in this journey as we all venture out to get this done and move forward in just being who we really want to be. I want to thank you for tuning in to Dream Chasers Radio. It's been another wonderful episode. And I'm just, I'm daring to be different. And I'm hoping that you are doing the same. Until next time, until next time, dare to be different.